beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 139 brings a lot of spinning to our, our minds when we come to it. It does so because we begin to delve into things which are too high and too lofty for us to understand. You begin to think about the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, the omnipresence of God. It can leave you, as it were, in a tailspin just thinking about it. There are difficult things. They are too high for us to attain. We cannot reach up to it. And yet, we are called as the people of God to worship God as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. We don't make it up how we worship. We are those that worship the way God has revealed it to us in His Word. God has revealed to us that He is triune. God has revealed to us that He is three persons with one essence, and yet there is only one God. There is no other. And yet the three persons revealed in Scripture are all called God, truly God, fully God. And yet there are not three gods, there is one God. That can be that which causes spinning of the mind, because we can't comprehend it. But this is how God has revealed Himself to us, and that's what we submit to. I've told you before, the difficulty of God sovereignly predestinating everything that comes to pass. Everything. Nothing left to chance. From the smallest to the greatest things, God has predestinated them to happen, and yet man freely chooses the things that he desires. And he always chooses what he desires according to the strongest inclination of his heart. And so he is determined to make particular choices, and yet the scripture declares that God has predestined even the choices that man makes. I don't understand that. It is too high for me to understand. I cannot attain to it. But that is what scripture has revealed to us And I don't say, well, then that must be a contradiction. I simply say, this is beyond my ability to grasp. And I'll let the tension lie in this this world in which I live. I may come to understand it in glory. I may not come to understand it in glory. I may understand in a fuller sense the doctrine of the Trinity in glory. I may not come to understand that. I don't know. The things that I do know, I know that we won't have any longer any... Sin won't be involved in our thinking. So, we'll leave those things to the Lord. Look, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children and our children's children forever. Beloved, what does that say? Leave the secret things alone. You're not going to find out. God hasn't revealed them. But the things that he has revealed is his word. Spend time digging into his word. So that in the secret will of God, what he providentially brings upon you, you will be equipped by the teaching of the word and the spirit to respond in a godly fashion with the providence that God brings upon you. The word of God prepares us to respond in a godly way to the providence of God that comes upon us day by day, moment by moment. 
So instead of trying to inquire about things which God has not revealed, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? What about this? What about that? Spend your time digging into what God has revealed so that we might grow in grace and we might know Him in a deeper way. That's what the Scriptures do. Teaches us to dig down into the person of God. To know Him. And when you say God, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who God is. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Scriptures teach us to understand Him in a greater measure as we are sanctified by the Word. It's what Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi and also in Ephesus was. To have that greater abiding depth of understanding of who God is. Not a surfacey thing of knowing some things about God. Not the, the trivial games, you know, Bible trivia. So you can answer questions, but knowing Him. As I said before, a good example was the guy that was an orator that read Psalm 23 and people were wowed by his oratory skills. He had a British accent, people loved that. And next we read was an older pastor. Kind of stumbled through Psalm 23. When it was asked to people afterwards, what did you think about the reading? Oh, that's great. I was wondrous how he read that. What did you think about the pastor reading? Well, he didn't do it as eloquently as the other guy. But one thing that I noticed about the reading is that the man who read with the eloquent voice, he knew Psalm 23, but that old pastor, he knew the shepherd of the psalm. That's the point, beloved. It's not just simply knowing Bible facts. It's not unimportant. But we don't go just simply to learn facts. We go to know Him in a deeper measure. Always growing in our understanding of the God who has redeemed us. Now, this Psalm 139, as I said last time, it's written to the chief musician, and it's a Psalm of David. Now, the chief musician was Heman the Kohathite. That was David's chief musician singer within the temple. Asaph, who had written a number of the Psalms as well, he was the assistant to Heman uh, as far as the, the singing and the music that was played within the temple. So David penned the Psalm and he was able then to give it to the chief musician so that would be a song that would be sung within the temple, within temple worship. David sang it as well. David was a sweet singer of Israel. Uh, David had the stringed instruments. He knew how to play and he knew how to sing. And this is what he does. And singing has a great effect upon us. I mentioned before that there are songs that maybe you haven't heard in 10 or 15 years. It comes on the radio and you sing lock stock with it, don't you? In lock step, you're right there singing all the words. How is it? You haven't heard that in so long. It does something to us. Psalms are retained by us as we sing them. And so this is what you find. And it's a good uh, to, to memorize the Psalms. It speaks about the, the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. And this is what David then brings to the mind of the people. How comforting is it to you that God is omniscient? Now, omni meaning all, omniscient science coming from knowledge, meaning God has all Knowledge. That is mind-blowing. It's mind-expanding to think about those things. Well, let me say it this way. 
There is nothing higher, broader, deeper, longer than you can think about than the person of God. There is nothing greater that you can think about. There is nothing greater that you can meditate upon. So necessarily, in thinking and meditating upon the person of God, it is mind-expanding for the believer. It expands your mind. It causes you to think better when you think upon the things of God. Most of our time is given to thinking about mundane things, isn't it? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What's going to happen today? What am I going to do today? How often do we think about just simply the omniscience of God? How much is there to know? I mean, there's a pagan song that sung that. How much, how, how much is there really to know? I have no idea. But all knowledge is contained in God. All that there is to know is contained in God. God is Jehovah. He is the self-existent one. He is the eternal one. It's what theologically is the aseity of God. He is dependent upon nothing outside of himself. In that all of his knowing makes things what they are. And there is no knowledge outside of God. There is nothing that he does not know. He knows all things. His thinking makes it what it is. Now, do, you, do you need an Advil? Thinking about that is mind expanding. That's the God that we worship. How much is there really to know about, just say, the universe? How much do I not know? Tons. There are things in my vocation, in my calling as a minister that I don't know. I, I'm not comprehending anything in particular where I can encircle it all and say, I have all knowledge about this particular subject. No, I'm... Stupid on a lot of things. I'm ignorant on lots of things. So, is the omniscience of God that He knows you, beloved, that He knows everything that there is to know about you, from the least to the greatest? Is that a comfort to you? Or do you find that troubling? Some of the ancient pagan writers used to speak in that way that it was troubling to them that God knew everything about them. And it was even more troubling for them that God was always present. God knows everything that there is to know about us. He's known it from all eternity. He knows it infinitely and He knows it exhaustively. And yet He loves us. If you knew everything that there was to know about me, you wouldn't love me. But before you snicker, let's turn it around. If I knew everything about you, I wouldn't love you either. And yet God knows everything about us. And yet He loves us. The omniscience of God. David says that the Lord, verse 5, has hedged me in behind and before. 
and he has laid, you have laid your hand upon me. What I find striking about David revealing these particular things, speaking in this psalm, writing these particular words, which filled with the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he did, and he wrote God's word, is that David is not afraid. David is comforted to know that God is omniscient. I am comforted to know that God knows everything about me and he still loves me. You see, beloved, think about your relationships with your spouse or your family, your friends. There are things that they don't know about you. Why is that? Because you wonder, will they still love me? So there are things we don't reveal to other people because we're afraid of how they respond. And yet the omniscient God knows every thought that I've ever had. He knows every thought that I will ever have. He knows every thought that I'm thinking now. And yet He loves me. What a comfort that is. David is not running from the omniscience of God. He is glorying in the omniscience of God. David says, you have enclosed me in. You have hedged me in. Again, I mean, I think of the word hedging. It reminds me of Satan responding to the Lord and saying about Job, you've put a hedge around him. You've put your hands around him. You have encircled him. You have contained him. And I can't get at him. David says that the Lord has hedged him in from behind and before. Notice those words, behind and before. My backward parts, as David is saying. From behind me. The things in my rear guard. God has hedged me in. And then he says, before me. Which, it's interesting, that, that Hebrew word means east. And what does that mean? Almost as the dawning, as the sun rises, in the dawn of the new day, even to the sun going down, the Lord is hedged us in from the east and from the west. God has put a guard around us. He's hedged us in. We read in the book of Acts that the Lord has set the boundaries of our habitation for each one of us, and so we cannot go beyond it. In the beginning when the Lord, as Job recounts that the Lord said to the proud waves, thus far and no further shall your proud waves come. The Lord has established particular times and seasons for all of us. That ought to be a comfort to us. It's a comfort to me to know that my life can never be accidentally taken from this earth. I can never be injured. I cannot die accidentally. Now, we talk about accidental death. Nothing is accidental. That's from the man's point of view, looking at things, and us saying, well, we didn't intend to happen that way. Yeah, but the Lord did. No matter what it is. Hit by a car, engine of a plane falling out and wiping out a neighborhood, train crash, a virus, cancer, you name it. You know, a cotter pin coming out of a race car driver's car and him crashing into the wall and burning up in a fire. It's a difficult way to die, isn't it? And yet the Lord has appointed death for each one of us. We don't know when, we don't know how. That's the scary thing, isn't it? But then you begin thinking, 
God will give me the grace to go through what I need to go through. He has in the past with all of His saints. He will in the future with all of His saints. Our confidence must then be in the Lord. God is the one who cares and provides for His people. He's hedged us in. That ought to be a comfort to you. My life, in, in this real sense, I am immortal. As a mortal individual, I am immortal until the Lord's purpose for me is done. My seminary professor, one of them, Bob Grossman, used to say, you're here for the purpose of God, and when God's purpose for you is done, you're dead. And it is that simple. You're here for the purpose of serving God, and when God's purpose for you is done, you're dead. And you fly away, and you are no more. And in 20, 30, 40 years, your place is remembered no more. Isn't it interesting when you think about the dead? How often do you think about them? It becomes less and less, it seems, as life continues to go on. You don't think about them as often. I'm not saying you don't think about them at all, but you don't think about them as often because life goes on. Theologians of the past, pastors of the past, they're here for a time, for a season, for a purpose. And when that purpose is done, they're dead. And they go to be with the Lord. You've laid your hand upon me. Now, the hand of the Lord, that can be seen in a couple of different ways. The hand of the Lord guiding and directing and holding us up and leading us even as on eagle's wings. The Lord carrying us along. Or the hand of the Lord upon you in chastisement. Now I'm certain in my life that I've experienced both. And it's not easy to go through the chastening hand of the Lord. And yet what we have with the psalmist is the psalmist says, It is good that I have been afflicted that I might keep your commandments. God has a purpose in afflicting His children. God always has a purpose. He does nothing arbitrarily. He knows nothing arbitrarily. He has a purpose in every motion that happens in this world. David felt the chastening hand of the Lord upon him. David felt it when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. David experienced that. He speaks about that in Psalm 32, where the vitality of his worship was basically drained out. He had no desire to worship the Lord. He was going through, as we would say, the dark night of the soul. A difficulty in his life. And David says, you've laid your hand upon me. Here I think it's protection. Here I think David is experiencing the protecting hand of God. The guiding hand. The elevating hand of the Lord. Encircling, engulfing, and surrounding him as it were. You know, the, the, the walls of Jerusalem. The mountains surround Jerusalem, uh, just like certain walls that give protection, so the Lord surrounds His people. David says this, that such knowledge is too wonderful for me. How often have you thought about that and broke down and said that, Lord, this, this is beyond me. We were talking in Sunday school about the person of Christ. In that he's one person with two natures. In all the distinction and discernment and implications of that. And as I was talking with the elders uh, before the worship service. 
said, my head's spinning, one of them said. Mine too. We're spinning together. Why? Because as David says, it's too wonderful for me, this, this knowledge of the things of God. And what it means is it's incomprehensible. I can't attain to it. I can't reach. I would love to. But I can't. It's like I can't think that way. I can't go beyond. I'm limited as I'm finite. And David says, this knowledge about God, how He hedges everything around before and beyond and lays His hand upon His people and guides and guards them. How wonderful, how incomprehensible is that? And David says, I cannot attain to it. <clears throat> I cannot reach it. It's like the little kid jumping and jumping and jumping and, and still can't get it. Can't reach it. We'll never reach it. This is not something for us as we grow. It, it's an interesting thing. Growing in the grace and the knowledge of God. <clears throat> the more that you read the scripture and the more that you become acquainted with God in a greater way, in a deeper way, does, does that humble you? Or are you prideful? <clears throat> are you more in awe of God today than you were yesterday? You know, in a human setting, as you begin to learn what your teachers know and what they teach you, your awe or esteem of them, it diminishes. Why? Because you're knowing the same things. You're having the same knowledge. But it works just the opposite with the Lord. The more that I read and study Scripture, the more awe-inspiring God is to me. The more I grow in the knowledge of the truth, the more awesome He becomes to me. Now God is awesome. How do you add to that awesomeness? I don't know how He does it. But it begins more and more as you grow in grace and you say, wow, this is, I can't attain to this. This is it's mind-boggling. We're limited. We're finite. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve. Meditate on that, beloved. Instead of spending time in trivial, futile things, <clears throat> take time each day and meditate upon an attribute of God. Meditate on God's holiness. And that God is, Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with your glory. And spend 10 or 15 or 20 minutes just shuffling that around in your mind. Thinking about all the scriptures that speak about holiness. And that our God is thrice holy. And what the implications of that is with regards to our union with Christ in coming before a holy God whose eyes are too pure to look upon evil, holiness, purity. Kicking that around in your mind and just rolling it around again and again. And what it means to meditate is to, to mutter it to yourself, to speak it to yourself. That's the Old Testament, the Hebrew. The, the Greek speaks about it as revolving it again and again in your mind. Bringing it up again and again. Kind of like a cow chewing its cud. 
cow chews and swallows it down, brings it back up and chews it down some more so it becomes uh, more accessible, as it were, to the body. Breaking down the nutrients. <clears throat> what happens to that hay that a cow eats? It becomes assimilated with the body. You know, you've heard it, right? You've heard the saying, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. Well, that's true physically. It's true spiritually as well. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You are, beloved, what you eat. If you're eating spiritual junk food, that's what you're going to be. Spiritual baby. You are what you eat. The more that you eat the deep spiritual truths of God's word, the more mature that you will be, the more that you will grow in grace, the more it will be seen in your action, and the more awe-inspiring God will be to you, and the more you'll desire to know Him. <clears throat> David here, I think, is using not a question of him trying to escape God, but just thinking through the implications of this. Right? He's not saying that I want to fly away from the Lord. No, he loves fellowship, union, communion with his Lord. He loves walking with God. He loves singing about the glory of God. But he asks this question in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Now, just, just think about that, beloved. That God is omnipresent. Where can you go where his spirit is not? God encompasses beyond what we even think. We think about the universe. And we think how vast it is. How the, the grandeur of the That's created. You understand that, don't you? God created that. He spoke that into existence. And they got the Hubble telescope and they said, Oh, this is great. We're really going to be able to see out to the ends of the universe. And what did they see? That it went on light years and light years. I don't even understand that light year stuff. But it went on beyond what they could see with the Hubble telescope. Man thought he was so wise in bringing this. And God then, he brings man to foolishness. God is greater than his creation. He encompasses all things. There's nowhere that you can go. And that's what David is saying. It's a rhetorical question. I can't go nowhere apart from the Spirit of God. If I go here, the Lord is there. If I go there, the Lord is there. Why is that? Not only that the Lord dwells with His people, but the Lord is omnipresent and He encompasses all things. I don't like when people talk about God as big. Big is a relative term. And so what we say is, this compared to that, well, this is bigger than that. With, with who or with whom will you compare God? God is immense. There is nothing, no thing, no person that can be compared to Him. Where can I flee from God's presence? Nowhere. Doesn't that boggle your mind? That God is everywhere present. Everything is in the immediate presence of God. Everything. Every person, place, or thing is in the immediate presence of God. All of His creation is in His immediate presence. 
in that God is infinite and eternal. He doesn't know anything more than anything else. Everything that God knows, He knows infinitely as the eternal Creator. He doesn't know something more than something else. Now, I know some things more than I know of other things. Not God. He knows everything equally, infinitely, eternally. I mean, that, that, that gives me a headache. I, I can't attain to that. God doesn't know the words that are in my soul that I'm going to speak tomorrow better than the words that are in your soul that you're going to speak tomorrow. God knows them all infinitely and eternally the same. Were you going to flee from God? Didn't Jonah try that? Jonah ran from the Lord. <clears throat> Who are you? What are you doing? I'm running from God. Well, you're on a treadmill, dude. Where are you going to go? You're not going to escape the Lord. And this is was in Jonah's mind that I'm going to escape God. This is good for children. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that has revealed Himself in Scripture. He is the God that's everywhere present. I am never alone. You know, in this world, you'll think you're alone. In this world, you'll feel at times alone. And there's a difference between being lonely and being alone. There are times when you will feel lonely. There'll be times when you think that everybody has left you alone. And yet the Lord says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I am with you always. No matter where you go, God is with you. That's a comforting thing for us to know as the people of God. We ought not to run from the omnipresence of God. We ought to run to it. You're not going to change it. You're not going to run from the Lord. So I think you find that with Jonah and he found out that you're not running from the Lord. If I jump into the depths of the sea, the Lord is there. He is, sends a fish and swallows him up and spits him out on the, on the shore. The Lord encompasses all things. Judas, he tried to escape the presence of God. He committed suicide. He hung himself. And he didn't escape the presence of God. Because notice what it says, that if I ascend into heaven, you are there. So if I went to the highest portion that I could go as a, as a mortal individual, and to the lowest depths, even down into hell, that's what he's referring to when he says, Sheol, making my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God encompasses all things. Beloved, do you know what makes hell hell? It's the presence of God meeting out His justice. I've heard people say, well, God is not in hell. Well, then how is the omnipresent? And who is it that's meeting out the punishment in hell? Whose justice is being satisfied on those with eternal wrath? God's justice. You know, you hear this trite saying today. <clears throat> well, I'm going to be in hell drinking with my buddies and having a good time. You won't be having a good time. Hell revealed in Scripture is a place of darkness, a place of torment. The cruelest thing that man could do to man is solitary confinement. To have no interaction with human beings. Because we have been created 
as social creatures. I don't care if you say I love to just be by myself. You don't. You like to be around other people. We have been created to be around other people. To be social people. Now to take that man and to lock him into a cell. Strange things can happen to a man's mind when he's in that environment. And yet the scriptures speak about how as being utter darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't sound like a party going on down there. Gnashing of teeth. You know, gnashing of teeth, the grinding of your teeth because you have been in so much pain. You know, like in the Wild West, a guy would go out, dig a bullet out of somebody and he'd put a stick in a guy's mouth. Why? Because his teeth would grind from the pain. That's what it's referring to. The worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. What does that have reference to? I think it refers to Gehenna, the garbage dump that was outside of Jerusalem. And when the Jews came back into the city, uh, there used to be sacrifices given to Molech and all the pagan gods uh, by the, the foreign nations around them. And it was an abomination to the Israelites. So they treated that area as the garbage dump. So you think about that garbage dump. You know, we see the trash man come by our house once a week. But he's coming by everybody else's house all over the place continually dumping trash and it's constantly being fueled. They didn't have trash as we have today. You would throw things out there. Dead bodies, dead animals, didn't matter. Your trash, it was dumped there. So the fire was perpetual and there was constant maggots that were eating at that garbage. And that's the metaphor that's used. And I do think that Jesus is speaking metaphorically. Where he says the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. I think it's worse than that. But when you think about it in your mind, what do you think about the most horrendous way to die? I think being burned in a fire and being burned up, where you're being burned alive, is just a horrendous way to die. And hell is spoken of that way, where the fire is never quenched. If I made my bed in hell, behold, you are there, David says. The place of the damned, it is God meeting out punishment upon them. That's what makes hell the torment that it is. A holy God in his just wrath meeting it out upon the God-haters. Beloved, this is the God that we worship. We don't do God favors by trying to protect God. By saying certain things that aren't so. 9-11. God didn't have anything to do with that. You're an idiot if you thought that. God predestinated that. God gave breath to breathe to those who crashed into the Pentagon. Nothing can move apart from the will of God. He has a purpose in everything that He does. But... We're such pharisaical people that we think, whoa, what an abomination that that could happen. God didn't have anything to do with it. It's appointed unto all of us to die once, beloved. We deserve damnation. We all deserve to be dumped into the pit of hell. We all deserve it. But because of the grace in Christ Jesus, because of the wondrous mercy of God, 
We don't get what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve. We get Christ and all of his benefits. What a wonder. This is the God that we worship. Let us worship God, honor God, speak of God, meditate upon God the way that he has revealed himself to us in his word in no other way. Let us not try to make up things to protect God. God reveals himself as the sovereign one who ordains and rules and governs in the kingdoms of men. And who is the one who can stop his hand? Can you make straight what God has made crooked? Can you make crooked what God has made straight? God has made some things crooked. Who is it who makes the blind and the deaf and the mute and the lame? I, the Lord, do all these things we read in Exodus. Let's not be afraid of proclaiming and revealing The God of Scripture. The God of Scripture, beloved. Not the God of your own imagination, your own devising. The God of Scripture. Let us proclaim the truth to one another and to a dying world of this sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God who is with His people always and redeems them from all of their sin and misery because of His wondrous great grace. We ought to just be those that are constantly saying, uh, what, what wondrous love is this? That me, the one who has broken all the commandments of God and kept none of them, should be called a child of the living God. Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you consider him? Who am I? That's what Gideon says. Who am I that you should come to me? I am the least of my house, of my father's house, and my clan is the least of the clan of Israel. Why would you come to me? This is the God who loves us and redeems us. Let us run, beloved, to the attributes of God and exalt and glory in who God is and what he reveals of himself in Scripture. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Declare it just as he has declared it to us. This will bring comfort to the soul and it ultimately will bring glory to the God who has redeemed us. Amen. Shall we pray?